Today I want to talk to both singles and married today about the unique aspects of your covenant with God. Um, <clears throat> let's begin reading in the book of Matthew chapter 19 verses 3 through 12. Matthew chapter 19 verses 3 through 12. Jesus is teaching here, uh, so let's look carefully at what he says. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, it is, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, God has, therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the, from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced, commits adultery. His disciples said to him, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, all cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. So we have the words of Jesus on marriage. First of all, it's his institution. He established it from the beginning. And he's very clear here that it's between a man and a woman. How that a man leaves his father and mother and joins himself to his wife, and these two become one. So you have two parts that together make one whole. Then he goes on to say, um, they ask him, well, maybe it's better to be single and not get married. And Jesus said, uh, well, not everyone can receive this. Not everyone can receive this. But understand that there are eunuchs that were born eunuchs. A eunuch would be an individual that is not capable of having sexual relations physically. And then there are eunuchs that were made eunuchs by men. In other words, they were emasculated uh, by other people. Slaves were often emasculated and made eunuchs. And then he said there are some that choose to be made a eunuch, uh, and they have made that choice themselves. So he talks about three categories of people that are unable to conduct biologically conduct sexual relations and how some might be born with that uh, malfunction or disability. Others are made that way by men and then others choose to be that way. Um, and so he goes on to say, but not everyone can handle this. Not everyone can do this. Not everyone is there. And so he's establishing the fact that there is a grace to be single. There is a grace to be single. There is a grace for that season in your life when you do not have a mate 
and when you do not have a life partner, for you to be single. It is a glorious time. It is a blessed time. It does not make you less than, uh, but it's a season when you are fully married to God and His grace is upon you for that season. And uh, it's so important that we recognize the grace of singlehood, the grace of not being married at the moment. None of you should ever feel less than or secondary or feel somehow blemished because you currently do not have uh, a mate. You're a child of God. You are blessed of God. Your life is in His hand, and He has given you a grace for the season that you're in. Now, for some, this season could be um, quite short, and for others, it could be quite long. For some, it could be a lifetime situation. But whatever it is, remember that there is a grace on you for this season. If you recognize that and you embrace that grace, then grace will abound in your heart and life. The Apostle Paul spoke about singlehood in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 9. Now, I'm going to read a lot of verses here, can't possibly teach on them all, but there's a lot of messages that you can capture here from these verses just as we read through them. Are you ready? Now, concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. So they had written to him and said, we have some issues going on. We need some instruction. He writes a letter back, and he's trying to give them some direction. Um, and he said right off the bat, it would be better for a man to be single and not to touch a woman. That's the context of what he's saying. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. So he said, if you have a grace to be single and you can keep yourself pure, he said, that's the best. But if you do not have that grace and you need a mate, then he said, let every man have his wife and every wife have her husband because of immorality. This is what the apostle taught. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer and then come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. For I wish that all men were even as I myself. So he said, I'm not, I'm not saying this as a command, I'm saying as a concession. In other words, I realize that everybody doesn't have the same grace. Everyone can't live the same life and can't function at the same level. And he said, so I'm saying this not as a command, but as a concession. For I wish that all men, even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. Hold that verse right there. So Paul said, I wish that you were all like me. And what was Paul? He was single. You know, if you're single here today, you realize you're in some pretty strong company. Like Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul. I mean, <laughs> and um, so he said, I wish that all of you were single like me. But he said, I realize that not everyone has the same gift. This gift is the word charisma. It is the same word we use grace or gift. It's a grace gift. 
And so there is a gift of singlehood. There is a gift to be happy and to be pure and to, and to be single. And he clearly says not everyone has that gift. And if you do not have that gift, what is the solution according to the Apostle Paul? If you do not have the, single of, the gift of singlehood, what is the solution? Get married, right? And so uh, if you say, well, I've got a little bit, but I don't think it's going to be enough to last, you need to get serious about positioning yourself for a godly mate. And that needs to be the focus of your prayer and the focus of leading your life, saying, you know what, I want a mate. I believe that God has a mate for me, and I'm positioning myself for a life mate. And make decisions that point you in that direction, and God will send them to you at His own time and in His own way. Until that time, God's grace will sustain you emotionally and physically, and this can be a beautiful season of your life as you live in covenant with God, and He is your partner, He is your spouse, He is your closest friend and confidant, and He bridges the gap until that soulmate comes into your life. So I wanted to take some time this morning and encourage all of the singles. Uh, remember that every covenant has terms, every covenant has conditions, um, and we are obligated to keep the terms of our covenant, knowing that God will keep His. Here's some commitments that singles might make, need to make to God. First of all, you need to have a commitment to God and Him alone, to God and Him alone. You know, let's say that there is someone that you're waiting for in your life. Maybe you're a young person, you haven't entered that marriage season yet, or maybe you're, you're in the season, but that right person hasn't come along. Just be married to God and just make Him your life partner and your mate until God sends you someone um, that can fill that spot. So be committed to God. Be committed to preparation. Be committed to preparation. You know, I pray with people all the time about life, a life mate coming into their lives, but I'm not seeing them making preparation. I'm not seeing them conducting themselves in a way that prepares them for a life mate. Uh, you know, if, if you're a, a man and you're believing for a wife, then there are things that you ought to be doing um, to prepare yourself uh, to be a husband and probably a father. If you conduct yourself like a single rogue, you might not be attracted to, attractive to a woman that wants a real husband and a real father. But if you start acting like a real husband and acting like a real father, you become attractive to a woman that is looking for one of those things. So be careful, single guys, how single you present yourself because after a while you're no longer attractive. Start governing your finances, start building your career, and start doing things in preparation for a wife and a family, and, and govern your life in that way. Prepare your hearts. Ladies, the same is true for you. Live in a state of preparation. Just like a bride is preparing for her wedding day, you need to be preparing for your wedding day and believing that God is going to send you someone in His time and His way. And I want to throw a little pastoral advice in on this, if I may. Uh, what I see happening is two people that kind of think they're for each other, that it may be, they kind of have fun together and they kind of care for each other, but they realize there's not a strong enough feel there to say, I do. And so they just keep dating each other because they really don't have anybody else. And so they kind of get connected. Um, 
but not married. They, they kind of get uh, obligated uh, and they kind of take themselves off the market, so to speak. And so while they're involved in a relationship that really doesn't have a future, just an immediate little salve, but no long-term fix, Mr. or Mrs. Wright walks right by, but they're already taken and their focus is on the wrong person. So here's your pastor's advice. If you're, in a, if you're single today and you're an adult, not necessarily talking to teenagers now, but if you're single and you're an adult and, and you're dating someone and uh, you've already, you already have that feel that this might not ever be anything permanent, figure it out, yes or no, and get away from that person. Because if you stay in that relationship that's just like a, a, a salve for the moment, but doesn't have a permanency to it, then first of all, bad things can happen. And secondly, so Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright comes along and you're already taken. You don't see them because you're focused on the wrong person. So I tell singles all the time, figure conduct your relationship in a godly fashion, figure it out, and either get married or get away from each other. That kind of advice comes from gray hair. I've been pastoring now for 33 years, and that's where I got that from. 33 years of watching this play out, generation after generation. So again, singles, if you have someone, you're dating them, they look... Figure it out. Are they right or are they wrong? If they're right, plan a wedding. If they're wrong, get away from them. Bad things will happen or you'll miss the opportunity God sends you because you're focused on someone else. You're taken. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Clark. I appreciate that good fatherly advice. So make a commitment to God. Make a commitment to preparation. Make a commitment to purity, to stay pure. Uh, don't do what the world's doing. It leads to pain and sorrow and heartache. Do it God's way. Keep yourself pure. Make a commitment to trust God for your future. So you don't want to live forever in the future. You want to live in the now. You want to trust God that He's got your future in control and believe that He's orchestrating today and tomorrow and He's, he's got a plan for your life. Just make a commitment to trust God and just believe Him. Do what's right and let God do the rest. If you'll do these things, this can be a very wonderful and blessed season of your life. And if you are to be married, uh, it'll happen. It'll be wonderful and it'll be good. And you'll say, thank God that I waited. I trusted in God and I did the right things. I ended up where I need to be. You know, I can think of people along the way that I, I have pastored that um, had some, for, some sort of marriage tragedy and they waited for a new, new opportunity and God richly blessed them and gave them a far greater second chance than that first chance, a far greater human being, a far greater person the second time than the first time. And uh, I might could even think of a few that it was number three before they got it right. <laughs> Uh, but the point is, uh, trust God with your future and believe God for good things ahead, regardless of what your past has in it. Can you say amen? amen. Now, I'm going to talk to marriage just a little bit, and then at the end, I'm going to pray for singles, and we're going to pray for married couples and uh, pray a marriage blessing over you today. So let's move to um, the marriage. First of all, marriage is a big deal with God. It's a really big deal. Pastor Randon did a great job last Sunday of talking to you about just how big this marriage covenant really is. 
It's a big deal to God. As a matter of fact, the whole story of the human race and the story of the Bible is a divine romance. This Bible is literally a romance novel, except it's the absolute truth. It really is happening. You see, in the beginning, God sat alone in the heavenlies, the Bible said, and He desired an eternal companion. He had desired uh, eternal companionship and fellowship. And because there was no one in heaven like Him, He created the heavens and the earth. And then with his own hand, he pushed together soil and made Adam. And then from Adam, he made Eve. And then from Adam and Eve, he created a whole human race. And it was from this human race that he was going to call out a bride that would be his eternal companion. And that's what the people of God, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ throughout the ages is all about. It's about becoming an eternal companion with God and ultimately be the bride and the wife of the eternal God and living with Him forever and ever throughout all of eternity. So you can see the whole story of creation and the human race and the Bible and and all that we have today. It's all a divine romance as the creator of the universe is looking for someone to complete Him, someone to feel the longing in His heart, someone to be an eternal companion with. As a matter of fact, the story of redemption is, is, is a romance. It's the story of a God that loved fallen, broken, sinful, hurting humanity, but saw something in them worthwhile and rescued them and redeemed them and brought them to himself and made her a collectively a beautiful bride and an eternal companion. As a matter of fact, when you read Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to ask them to drop down to um, verse 31 and 32, Ephesians 31 and 32, 5, 31 and 32. He said, For this reason man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. 32. For this is the great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So he's talking about husbands and wives, and he's talking about Christ and the church, and it's all in these verses together. And he calls it a great mystery. But let me ask you this, what came first, our marriage or God's marriage? Is he just using our marriage to explain something about his marriage? Or is he using his marriage to explain how our marriage are to go? Well, obviously, he's using his marriage to explain explain how our marriage is supposed to work. So his marriage is first. His marriage is the prototype. His marriage is the model. And so we study Christ to learn how to be a good husband. And we learn, study the bride, to, the, the church, to learn how to be a good wife. And we study the relationship between Christ and the church. And by that, we learn how to have a better marriage, how to get along and treat one another and be happy together. So that's why marriage is such a a huge deal with God. The Bible, it's a covenant book, old covenant, new covenant. There's nine major covenants given in the Bible, from Noah to David to the new covenant, the old covenant of Moses to the covenant with Abraham, major covenants in this Bible. But this Bible opens with the marriage of Adam and Eve, and it closes with with the marriage of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, to His bride. So in the first book, it's a marriage, and in the last book, it's a marriage, and everything in between is about covenant relationship and marriage. If it wasn't for marriage, the human race wouldn't exist. 
we don't learn how to live in covenant, we're never going to have the marriages that God wants us to have and the marriages that uh, we desire. And more we learn how to live in covenant with God, the more we learn how to live in covenant with our spouses. There's a parallel. Marriage is a big deal with God. Now let's go to Genesis. And I'm going to skip through uh, Genesis here beginning in chapter 2. I'm going to read some verses 7, 18, 21 through 25. Again, I'm reading a lot of verses. Can't preach it all. You can read it. You can learn from it. And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Verse 18. And the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. Hold it. Remember, we're created in the image of God. God desired an eternal companion. He needed someone to complete him. So when he says it's not good for man to be alone, he knew what he was talking about. He had that same need, that same void in his own life that he was filling in the human race. It's not good for man to be alone. We were designed to be married. Now you may have a gift to be single, but we as men were created to be married. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Then we drop down a little further. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one at one of his ribs, closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, wow, something like that. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Can you say amen? Amen. God is neither male nor female. He's not a man. He's not a woman. He has both masculine and feminine traits all wrapped up into his divine being. Now, I open my Bible, and he's called a father. He's referred to as he and him and his. But God is not male or female. God has all the masculine and all the feminine traits all in one. As a matter of fact, when he created Adam in his own image, Adam had all the masculine and feminine traits in him. So originally, Adam was quite different than I am and all the other men in this church today. Because initially, he had both masculine and feminine qualities all in him together. And then God said, the problem with this is he's alone. So I'm going to put him to sleep, and I'm going to take something out of him. What did God take out of him? I assure you, it wasn't a rib. It was feminine qualities, feminine nature, feminine traits. And he took that femininity out of Adam. Now all Adam has left is what I have left, masculinity. And he takes all of that femininity and he wraps it in a woman's body. And he makes a wife for him. Someone to complete him. Someone to fulfill him. So that one day a man and a woman could fall in love, establish a marriage covenant, and become one. You know, when we study some of these words in the Hebrew, which is the original language of Genesis, we learn some interesting things. First of all, we find out that Adam was initially called Adam, which meant humankind. So Adam was not first a name, it was just a description, it was humankind. 
But then after he woke up from surgery, his, God gave him the name Adam, which means man. And he gave woman a name, Eve. But before then, he was just one person, and he was both male and female, and he represented the whole human race. But God took something out of him. That word rib also means half or side. In the same way that you take an animal and you cut them down the side and you have a side of beef or a side of lamb. When God took something out, it was like he, took, he cut it in half. And he put the masculine part over here in this body and the feminine part in this body over here. And the fact that these two parts used to be together is what creates sexual, relational attraction because God took one and split it apart. And so forever men and women are attracted to each other because until I found Renee, I wasn't complete. I was only part. But when I found Renee, she added something to me that made me whole again and through marriage two became one. So, it's interesting that when you look at the names that God gave to them, um, you know, when you, do, when you have a covenant, one of the things you do is exchange names. Pastor Randon talked to you about exchanging names, how that if you come in covenant with someone, you take a portion of their name. Like Abram, Abram became Abraham. The H came from the name of God. And God ceased to be just God. He became the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because there was a name exchange. In the book of uh, Genesis 17, God is referred to as El Shaddai. El meaning mighty. Shaddai meaning breast. So we can see the masculine and feminine traits in El Shaddai, one of the names of God. We also see that uh, in the word Adam, uh, that God took a, a letter out of Adam's name and he took a letter out of Eve's name in the Hebrew and he put those together and that's how he formed his own name. In the Old Testament, the name Yahweh is used some 6,800 times just in the Old Testament, the name Yahweh, the name of God, 6,800 times. And that word is formed with two primary letters, one from Adam's name and one from Eve's name, and brought them together and made his own name because he was coming in covenant with the human race and he was doing an name exchange. So remember that when we get married and a man leaves his father and a mother and he becomes one with his wife, we're, we're demonstrating, we're manifesting the full nature of God to the world. We are his representative in the earth when a husband and wife walk together in true unity and in true love. You see, marriage is a re we are, recreates us in the image of God. When as one, we have both masculine and we have feminine uh, traits. And because of that, in marriage, husbands and wives have the nature of God, which is to create. Two men cannot create or procreate. Two women cannot create or procreate. 
But a man and a woman that's in covenant relationship, they have the privilege to procreate and they can express that divine nature of God. And as I said, um, when, when a man and a woman are attracted physically, it's just the two halves wanting to get back together in their original form. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure you'd all agree with me that sex was one of God's best ideas. Can I hear a great big amen on that? Right? <clears throat> it's the two halves trying to get back together. Um, sex was designed to especially bless married couples. All sex outside of marriage covenant is sin, and that's consistent throughout the Bible. And um, also, it's interesting to note that the most often mentioned sin in the New Testament is some form of sexual sin. And that's because God wanted the beauty and the joy of marriage, of sex, to be confined to the man and a woman in covenant. And, um, and so thank God for sex and thank God for marriage. Um, in the book of Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4, let me read, it says this, Hebrews 13 and 4, marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled. Now that's referring to sexual relationships. The marriage bed is undefiled. In other words, when a man and a woman get married, they enjoy sexual intimacy. It's honorable and it's undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Remember, fornicators are people unmarried that are having sex. Adulterers are people that are in covenant with someone else having sex outside their marriage. And so the apostle here is opposing the beauty of sex in the context of marriage versus sex outside of marriage. And he says that sex in marriage is blessed and honorable and is a gift uh, to a married couple from God. Now, that's not the way they do it in modern America, right? That's not what a, way we do it in a modern America. A modern America. But that's the way it is in the Bible. And every, every day of your life, you've got to wake up and decide, am I going to believe the Kardashians and the Robertsons, or am I going to bring the Bi believe the Bible? Am I going to follow the, the set path that God created, or am I going to follow the path of modern culture and modern America? I hope that you will choose the Bible. And so the Bible teaches that um, God gave sex to marriage. In Proverbs 8, 20, 18 and 22, it says, He that finds a wife finds a good thing. A good thing. We've been talking about how to live the good life. And uh, I'm going to tell you, it's hard to live the good life with a bad marriage. Don't say amen. Just, I know what you're thinking. I got it. Uh, the fact is, the better your marriage, the better your life is probably going to be. A good marriage is a well of happiness and joy that you can draw out of your whole life. I don't know what a perfect marriage is. I've never had one, probably could never be a part of one. I would surely flub it all up. But the point is, you can have a not perfect marriage and still have a very strong, healthy marriage, and you can have a very, very good life. If you're looking for perfection, uh, lower the standard just a little bit. Uh, if you're thinking everything's got to be perfect and done just right for you to be happy, better think about that some more. There is a gap between the real and the ideal. And you and I can sit here on a Sunday morning and read the Bible and talk about the ideal all day long. But we go home and we live in the real. And there is a distance between what is ideal and what is real. 
There's only a few areas of my life that are ideal. But my life is good, and I thank God for it. And so um, God wants us to be happy. He wants us to live the good life, whether we're single or whether we're married. His blessings are on us in such a way that every day can be a joy. And even when difficulties and challenges come, the joy of the Lord can be our strength and our hope is in Him. And we can say, I'm glad I'm alive. I'm glad I'm a child of God and I'm looking forward to tomorrow. I'm living a good life through Jesus Christ. Can you say amen?